Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. A reading is from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there is a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? I'm noticing we're a little sleepy this morning. Um, that's okay. I have enough adrenaline right now for all of us in the room. I'm excited about this message. Um, I've been doing this deep dive into the second coming of Christ, and it is like incredible. It's incredible. Did you know Jesus is coming back? (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. He's coming back. Um, And so (laughs) I just... I realized as I started to study this that it's, it's everywhere, okay? It's everywhere. I know I'm talking like I just discovered that Jesus was coming back, but I feel kind of like that. Like, I haven't been thinking about this like in the way that I've been thinking about it this week. So, I hope that you have a Bible on you. We're going to put some verses on the screen. Um, this is not the typical way that I preach I'm not. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, starting out in this text, but I'm not going to just hang out here. I'm going to jump around a lot. We're, we're going to look at a lot of of scripture today, and and maybe if you're like, if if you are stirred about this, you could jot some of these down and then go and look at them on your own because we're not going to have time to say all that needs to be said about this. This is just so rich. It's so good. Um. And so, so hopefully you can, you can at least jot things down if you don't have time to get to all the verses that we cover. But as I began to study this passage in, in chapter 2 of Luke, I, I was 
asking myself the question, what are these two random characters doing in this story? I was, I was wondering, like, you know, we don't know who they are before this time, and then we don't see them again. They just sort of appear in the story, these, these elderly saints. They come into the story. We see them for a minute. They have this brief encounter with Jesus, and then they're gone. Why are they there? Right? Like, why did Simeon and Anna make it into the Holy Scriptures? What's, what's the deal? And I think... I think that this is a good case for this. Look at verse 25. It says, Simeon, this, this man Simeon was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Maybe you can circle that word, waiting. He's waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And now look at the last verse in this passage. And this is about Anna. And it says that Anna, coming up at that very hour, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting, there's that word again, for the redemption of Jerusalem. So these are two separate people that we encounter in this story. And the thing that unites them, the thing that that connects them is that they were both waiting for the Messiah to come. For the promised one, Jesus, the promised Messiah, to come, to to bring consolation, comfort to Israel, to redeem Jerusalem. And so these were saints who, who of the old old covenant, they're old covenant saints, they're kind of like the, the last saints that we encounter of the old covenant before it fades away and the new covenant comes. And... And the reason that we're reading about them is they both, they knew their, their, they knew their scripture, they knew the promises, and because of those promises, they were eagerly waiting for a Messiah to come. Now, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with Christmas, right? What does that have to do with us in 2020? It has everything to do with us. Everything. It has everything to do with Christmas. Every year we, we celebrate, we, we, we practice, we observe the season of Advent. Advent, it means arrival. It's the season of preparing our hearts so that we long for Jesus' coming. It's a season of preparation to long for the arrival of Christ. And listen, Jesus, who came as an infant, that you probably know the story, and was was born in Bethlehem and was laid in a manger, he is coming back. He's coming back again. And so Advent isn't just about preparing your heart to celebrate Christmas that Jesus came once. But it's also about preparing your heart to long for the day that he returns. And I I realized as I was studying this and reflecting on this that my generation and younger, we don't typically talk about this a lot. We don't typically focus on this a lot. Um, it, It has been talked about a lot. 
Uh, back in the 80s and 90s, it, there was a big emphasis on this, and there have been many times throughout history that this has been focused on, but we don't typically do that. And I think that's a real problem. I, I think it puts us at odds with the writers of the Scriptures. As I was reading and realizing, this is on the forefront of the minds of Peter and of Paul and of John. This is, this is they're thinking about this constantly. It's, it's in the fabric of their being. And so, if it's not in ours, if it's not in our thinking, if it's not in the fabric of our being, we need to change. And so, I'm excited to talk about this today. I'm excited to look at it in the, in the scriptures. Here's my big idea. It's a simple message. The big idea is this. If godly, spirit-filled saints like Simeon and Anna longed for the coming of Christ, if, if these godly, spirit-filled old covenant saints longed for Christ's first coming, then godly, spirit-filled saints of the new covenant ought to also long for his second coming. We should eagerly await it. Eagerly await it. And my outline is going to be really simple. We're going to look at two things that when we eagerly await His coming, two things that that reveals about us, and then we're going to look at two things it produces or accomplishes in us. So that's where I'm headed. If you got a pen and your note taker, that's where I'm going. All right, let me pray, and we'll dive in. Father, I am so glad, I am so glad that all that you have planned will come to pass, that every prophecy will be fulfilled. I am so glad that your church, your church will be rescued that everything wrong will be made right, all evil will be vanquished, and that your Son, Jesus, will come in glory, and His glory will be the satisfaction of our souls. I am so glad this morning. Let it produce gladness in your people. Let it produce joy in them. Let it produce perseverance in them. Let it purify them. God, encourage your people by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Before I get into these two things uh, that, that our eagerly awaiting Christ's return reveals in us, I want to just briefly look at a few scriptures about this. Okay, so let me give you an overview. Here's, here's the deal. This is what it is when Jesus returns. This is what it's about. Jesus is coming back to judge the world. And that may sound terrifying. It, it is. It is actually. It's, an, it's, it's actually described as that great and terrible day in the Bible. Jesus is coming back to judge the world, every single person. But, there's a but, but those who are in him, who have put their faith in him, their trust in him, we receive grace and mercy at his coming. And so it is both a terrifying day and an awesome and wonderful day. 
And every, every single person that doesn't know Jesus, when he comes back, they are going to be cowering. And every person that does know him will be celebrating. So that's kind of the brief overview. That's what's happening when he comes back. Um, he's going to come back. He's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. I, I, was, I wanted to read every passage about this this morning, but we're not going to do that. We don't have time to do that. We're going to look at six verses really quick. Let's go ahead and put the first one up there. Okay, so um, Matthew 16, 27. But the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Pretty, pretty clear, right? All right, let's go to the next one. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Sounds pretty incredible, right? Let's go to the next one. Jesus says this, Matthew 24, 44. Therefore you also must be ready. That's a command. Why? For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So it's a command for us, something we've got to do. We're supposed to be ready for it. And I would argue we can't be ready for it if we're not ever thinking about it, if we're not ever talking about it, if we're not studying the Scriptures about it. All right, let's go to the next one. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, Revelation 1-7. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, or so be it. He's coming back. It's going to be a terrifying day for many. All right, next one. Revelation twenty-two, twelve. Behold, I am coming soon Jesus is talking, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Sorry, one more. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. It sometimes is referred to in the scriptures as the second appearing or the appearing of Christ. Not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, if you read that verse and you say, it's not really important for us to eagerly wait for his return, then I would say, you need to work on how you read the Bible. That is very clear. He is coming to save those who are eagerly waiting waiting for him. And so, my case is made. It is very important. This is very important that we understand Christ's return and that we long for it. So, let's look at, just briefly, we'll keep, we'll keep thinking about that same verse. The first thing that's revealed when we eagerly wait for him is 
that we have faith. The, the first thing that is revealed, we believe. We believe that He is coming back. So you, you will not eagerly wait for something that you don't believe is coming. You just won't. You won't eagerly wait for anything that you don't believe is coming, and you won't eagerly wait for it. You might wait for it, but you won't eagerly wait for it unless you believe it's good. Right? And so, when we eagerly wait, we are showing faith. We're showing trust that when Jesus comes back, first of all, that He is coming back, but secondly, that when He comes back, it will be good for us. That He has accepted us, that He has forgiven us, that He has covered our sins, and when He comes to judge, we will receive mercy. And so it reveals faith. We know that apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. It says in Hebrews eleven six, And Hebrews 11 is maybe my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. I absolutely love Hebrews chapter 11. And it's all about all these different people, just like us, who had promises. Had, they knew promises from God, and then they eagerly waited for them to come to pass. Story after story after story of people who believed promises and waited for them to come to pass. And so, we see, first of all, that when we eagerly await His return, it reveals that we have genuine faith. The second thing that it reveals is that we love Him. It reveals that we have love for Christ. And you say, I didn't think that that mattered. I thought that it was all about faith. Well, the Bible teaches that every person who believes in Christ, who has seen Him as He truly is, loves Him. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that the crown of life is reserved for those that love Him. Okay, and now we're going to look at 2 Timothy 4.8. You got your Bible, flip to 2 Timothy 4.8. So the crown of life is reserved for those that love Him. It's promised to those that love Him. Now listen to what 2 Timothy 4.8 says. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, it's another name for the crown of life, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, the Bible often calls, calls his return that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Who've loved his appearing. One of the signs that you are truly one of His is that when you hear the trumpet and the loud voice of the archangel and you see Christ coming, that you don't shrink back, that you love His appearing. Why? Because you love Him. 
Because you love him. Because when you see Jesus coming on the clouds, you see the one who died for you, who gave his life for you. When you see his glory revealed like that, and you realize that that's the one who laid his life down for you, it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind that he would lay his life down for us. So it reveals our love. When we love his appearing, it reveals true faith. Jesus made no bones about it that if we had true faith, we would love him. He, he's speaking to, uh, speaking to the religious leaders, said in John 8, 42, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. And so we know that it reveals our love when we eagerly await his return. I mean, think about what we read about Anna. It says that she's been, she's been in the temple since her husband died when she was very young. And she's been worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night, probably 70 years. Because why? Because she wanted to be as close to him as possible. She loves him. And those that love him eagerly await the day they will see him. Right? Imagine a bride engaged to be married who wasn't eagerly anticipating her wedding day. You would assume one of two things. Either she doesn't believe that the wedding's going to happen... Or she doesn't love the guy she's engaged to. Right? It's pretty simple. And so, this is true with us. If we're not eagerly awaiting his return, either we don't know about it, maybe that's another option there. We don't know about it. We haven't thought about it. We haven't studied it. And that's why we're doing this today. Or we don't believe it's actually going to happen. Or we don't love him. All right, those are two things that eagerly awaiting his return reveals, faith and love. And then we're going to look at two things that eagerly awaiting his return accomplishes in us. So this, this, is, this is an active thing in our lives. This sanctifies us in, in two particular ways we're going to look at. More than that, but we're going to look at two. Number one, it purifies us. It, it accomplishes our purification. And we're going to look at Titus 2. Titus 2. Um, As you're turning there, remember what the scripture in Luke 2 said about Simeon. It said he was righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit was on him, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. There's this connection. I see a clear connection in the scriptures between waiting for his arrival and our purification, our sanctification and holiness of living. And so we can see that right here in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, I know there's a lot there. There's a lot there. But I want us to just look at it and see a few things. Um, First of all, notice this connection between ungodliness and worldly passions that we're supposed to renounce. Ungodliness, worldly passions, and the present age. Okay? In the present age, ungodliness and worldly passions are rampant. But in the age to come, these things will cease. And so, what we're being instructed to do is while we're waiting for the age to come, while we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, we're to let this grace train us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Do you see that? Now, think about how this works. While we are in this present age, the current of the world pulls us, right? It pulls us into ungodliness and unrighteousness and worldly passions. But when we recognize and remember and fix our gaze on the fact that this age is coming to an end, this is our blessed hope, this age is coming to an end and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is returning for us. When we put our hope there, it bolsters us. It, it does something in us. It consecrates us. It, to consecrate, it means to be separated out. To be pulled out from and separated. And when we, when we put our hope on the fact that there is an age to come, a Savior to come, redemption to come, we begin to live in light of that day. And it purifies us from these worldly passions. When we remember that we're citizens of another world, this is not our home. It purifies us. And who is it that we're waiting for? Look what it says. It says, verse 14, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Jesus died to purify us for his own possession. And so while we wait for that day with eager longing, we purify ourselves from every worldly passion and every sin so that when he comes back, we will not shrink away. So the first thing it does is it purifies us when we eagerly await his return. The second thing it does is it prepares us. It prepares us. Remember what Matthew 24, 44 said. It said, be ready, for you do not know the day or the hour, right? Be ready. How do we, how do we get ready for this? Flip to 1 Peter 
1 Peter chapter 1. And here's what it says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully, not partially, not a little bit, fully. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is this talking about? There's something about setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us when he appears that sobers us up and prepares our minds for action. And both of these things are talking about the mind. Prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. It does something in our minds, in our thinking. What, what did we say is happening when he returns? Judgment. Right? Everybody still with me? Getting a lot of very still looks. Still with me? When he returns, judgment is coming. It's going to be a terrifying day when he comes back. Now, what this says is set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you remember that there will be no sin that goes unpunished, no sin, but that your sins were punished on Him already, so that on that great and terrible day, you stand innocent and blameless before Him. Sobering, isn't it? It's sobering to remember, to think about, to reflect on the fact that when that great and terrible day of judgment comes, it will be awful for most of the world and not for us who have put our trust in Him because He has already paid the penalty for our sin. It sobers us up. It makes us recognize the severity of sin. That every, there is no such thing as a small, inconsequential sin. They will all come into the light, everything. It reminds us of the urgency of evangelism. It reminds us that this day is coming, and when it comes, if people have not put their trust in Christ, it will be too late for them. And so there's an urgency in us sharing the gospel with our family members and our co-workers and our neighbors and our friends. And it reminds us of the temporary nature of this life. When we get wrapped up in the news cycle, when we get caught up in the political stuff happening, and we get caught up in the stuff happening with the virus, and we get caught up with the things happening at work, and we get caught up in all the stuff, and it begins to drag us down and absorb us, and then we remember this is all fading away. It's all fading away. He's coming back. It sharpens our minds for action. It gives us right perspective 
on our life here and now. Lastly, in James 5, so if you're in 1 Peter, just one, one page back over in your Bible, one page before that. In James 5, James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers. And this is 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, James wanted his readers in the first century to think about the return of Christ and for that to cause patience, to build patience in them. He wanted them to establish their hearts, to believe this is coming. If that was true for the first century believers, how much more so for us? Don't you think if it was important for them and if it was vital that James, Peter, Paul, John, all the writers of the New Testament should remind their readers to think about this, to reflect on this, and to eagerly wait for Him, don't you think it's important for us today? When we remember that, that He is coming, we can establish our hearts, we can be patient, and that's another way that He prepares us for His return. So, let me wrap this thing up. I know we, we, we jumped around. It's a lot of passages. And I hope, I hope you'll look into some of those on your own. But in summary, this is... The Bible constantly tells us to remember. 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 We, apparently, we, we have an issue with forgetfulness. And we have a tendency to forget the most important things. And according to the Scripture, this is one of the most important things to remember. This is all through the Scripture. And so, the Bible says, forget not all His benefits. What, what is going to happen for us when He returns is resurrection. Remember it said, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are left will be caught up together with Him in the air. This is when we will be resurrected. Rescue. This is when whatever you're going through, whatever sickness, whatever struggle at work, whatever pain, whatever anxiety, whatever sin, whatever you're facing in this world, you will be rescued from it all. Renewal. He's coming to, to establish a new heaven and a new earth, and to bring heaven down to earth. He's going to establish his kingdom here. Relationship. We will see him face to face, and we will always be with the Lord. We will have a face-to-face -face relationship with him from that point on for eternity. And he's coming to reign. 
He is coming to reign on the earth. And get this, church. We will reign with him. Do you know that? Do you know that we will reign with him? That we are heirs of his kingdom? It's true. When he comes back, it's going to be a great and awesome day for us. So let it motivate you. Remind yourself. Let it stir up faith and love in you. Let it concretize your faith. You're actually believing in a real human being who is also God. And you will see him face to face. Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we think we're believing in theory and we're believing in ideas. We're believing in creeds. We are believing in a real person, a living, risen Christ. And he's coming back. It changes everything. Knowing that, purify yourself for that day. Prepare yourself for that day. And lastly, I want to ask you this. Are you ready for that day? You may be here this morning and you're not a believer. And you're hearing talk of a coming judgment. And that's, that's a scary thing. And I would agree with you. It's supposed to be. You know, God didn't leave us without hope. He gave us a way out. He has, he has left the ball in our court. If you're hearing this gospel, the ball's in your court. This is what the good news is. The good news is that Jesus Christ came as a baby, right, born in Bethlehem. But he didn't stay a baby. He grew up. He lived a perfectly sinless and righteous life. He fully obeyed the will of the Father. And then, as a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he died in our place on a cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that every person who repents of sin, which means to turn away from your sin, to leave it behind you, to turn to him in faith, and put your trust in him, will be saved. There will be grace for you on that day if you do this. So what do you do? The Bible makes it really clear. Almost all through the New Testament, every single time the gospel is presented, those that are listening are instructed, believe, repent, believe, be baptized. That's what they're told. Repent, believe, be baptized. Why baptism? Baptism doesn't save you. However, Jesus commanded it. And so it's a first obedience. And all through the New Testament, baptism was a way that people declared their faith publicly in Jesus Christ. And people did it immediately after they put their trust in Jesus. They heard the gospel. They said, I believe this. I need grace. I am a sinner. I want to walk away from that life of sin. What do I do? And they said, get baptized. That's what they said. And today we're doing baptisms. Again, we just did baptisms. We're doing them again. Praise God. Praise God. He is moving, church. He is moving. Listen, in last year, 2019, was our church's biggest year as far as attendance and 
and new ministries getting started and people rising up into leadership and all these things and many measurables. Biggest year for community groups, biggest year for this. Big, and, and then 2020 came. And by, by almost all of those measurables, you would look at things and you would say, wow, man, tough year for ministry. Yeah, but, maybe, but you know that in 2020, after today, we'll have baptized more than twice as many people as we baptized in 2019 with, like, less than half of the number of people coming on Sundays? Isn't that something to celebrate? God is at work. He is at work. Why? Because he's coming back. He's coming back. Amen? And whether or not it happens while we're still alive, we're supposed to live with eager anticipation as though it could happen any day. And so, church, long for it with me. See what it does in you. See if it doesn't excite you and stir up faith and love and purify you, and prepare you. Let's pray. Father, I know, I know I have not done justice to this topic. I know I haven't. And yet I also know that your word has the power to change lives and we looked at a lot of Scripture today. And so, Father, I just ask that, that something that was said today would pierce our hearts, would, would land in good soil in our hearts and produce fruit. I, I just pray that our hearts would be stirred up, that we would begin to eagerly await your return, Lord Jesus. I can't wait, Jesus. I can't wait to see your face, to see your eyes like flaming fire as you come riding in on a white horse. Lord Jesus, I cannot wait. Help us to be steadfast. Help us not to shift our hope from the gospel. Help us to have great joy as we eagerly await your return, Lord Jesus. And I pray it in your name. Amen.